go back and study the Holy Spirit. Now, just so you don't think I'm being chicken and trying to get out of this message on the last things, um, in the month of August, we're going to start a study on the book of Daniel. Oh, oh, okay. And then, and I believe around chapters 10 through 12, we'll study a lot of the prophecy concerning end times. And so we will study the last things, the end times, eschatology, um, here in a couple of months, or next month, should I say. The Holy Spirit. Beloved, there is arguably no more misunderstood doctrine than the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He oftentimes gets treated as the inferior member of the Trinity. He has been misunderstood, fanaticized, debated, and there are divisions even in the church concerning the gifts, his gifts to the church regarding tongues and prophecy and miraculous healings. However, thanks be to God, the Bible does not treat the Holy Spirit like we do. It elevates his person and ministry to the same honor given the Father and the Son. So today our agenda is simple to learn and respond to God, the Holy Spirit. Here is what our statement of faith reads concerning the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit and all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, we're gonna rewind. Man, I want y'all to join me, but I don't, y'all probably shouldn't be talking right now. All right. We believe the Holy Spirit and all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. This we believe. Let's begin, first of all, as we study the Holy Spirit by talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. One Puritan preacher had this to say about the Holy Spirit. There is a general omission in the saints of God and they're not giving the Holy Spirit the glory which is due his person and for his great work of salvation in us. Insomuch that we have in our hearts almost lost this third person, we give daily in our thoughts, prayers, affections, and speeches honor to the Father and the Son, but who directs the aims of his praise unto God the Holy Spirit? He is a person in the Godhead equal with the Father and the Son. The work he does for us in its kind is as great as those of the Father or the Son. Therefore, by equity of all law, a proportionate honor is due to him. Beloved, the person of the Holy Spirit is of utmost importance. 
If we think rightly about the personality of the Holy Spirit, we will then gain greater clarity concerning the works of the Holy Spirit. It is of utmost importance in regard to our worship. If the Holy Spirit is not a person, then we are all here in the church of Jesus Christ guilty of idolatry. And otherwise, to withhold worship from him, if he is God, is a heinous sin. To be well informed of this point is of great importance. The personality of the Holy Spirit is also of utmost importance regarding our Christian experience. Let me explain. By this, I mean many understand the Holy Spirit as something to get a hold of and to be used for our own benefit. But if the Holy Spirit is a person, a divine person at that, then it would be more biblical of us to think, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of me? Uh-huh. See, see, especially like I grew up, we, there used to be this saying when someone got, got excited in the worship service, it, you can really feel the, the emotion in the service and people will begin crying and shouting and waving. We would say that person caught the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost, brothers, you don't catch him. He's in you. Far too long, beloved Christians, have referred to the Holy Spirit as an it. Many think of the Holy Spirit as some impersonal force or energy or mysterious power that God imparts to us. But to these assertions, we wholeheartedly deny that the Spirit is an it. No, 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 no. We believe the Holy Spirit to be a person. What, 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 what then, though, gives us reason to believe that the Holy Spirit is a person? First of all, we can, we can go to the testimony of Christ. In John chapter 14, verse number 16, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That word, another, is crucial friends, it refers to someone or something that is different but of the same kind. That word another in the text refers to something that is different but of the same kind. So the Holy Spirit is a different person from the Son, but he's of the same kind concerning his being, nature, and attributes. Since Jesus is a person, then the Holy Spirit must be a person. Not only can we look to the testimony of Christ, but we can also look at the attributes of personality. By attributes of personality, I'm referring to the fact that the characteristics of a person include intellect, emotion, and will. The Holy Spirit has all three. Let me prove it to you. He has intellect. The Holy Spirit is an intelligent being. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 10, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? 
so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. This verse clearly teaches that the Spirit knows the thoughts and mind of God and comprehends the thoughts of God. Beloved, if God is all-knowing and the Spirit knows God's thoughts, then the Spirit must be all-knowing. Furthermore, this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15, concerning his intellect. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit, who is the truth, hears and speaks all that the Father and the Son have in knowledge. Thus the Spirit is clearly a knowledgeable and intelligent being. All we're trying to show you is that he has the attributes of personality. He has intellect, but he also has emotion. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30, we learn that the Spirit can be grieved. Therefore, Things or objects are not grieved. People are. And so it is our responsibility to not grieve the Holy Spirit. He has emotion. He has intellect, emotion. He also has will, volition, determination. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Paul writes this about spiritual gifts. He says, all these, these gifts, are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Other translations say that he apportions or gives to each one individually as he purposes or determines. Those are words of volition. In giving gifts, the spirit exercises the power of his will. So based on the testimony of Christ and the attributes of personality, we can clearly see that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some impersonal force. He's not some energy. He's a person. Thus, we can have a personal relationship with him. So, the personality of the Holy Spirit, he's a person, not an it. But he's just not any kind of person. He's God. So then, we see the personality of the Spirit, but we now we, need, we turn to the deity of the Spirit. He is God. Let me prove it to you. First of all, we see his godness, his divinity, his deity, in the way he is equal to the other members of the Trinity in several scriptures. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You hear, hear me uh, say this one almost every week. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three together. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. We see Paul in his benediction. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We just studied first Peter a couple of months ago. Peter in his address, in his beginning, he says to elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. We see with both Christ and the apostles, all three members of the Godhead together, he is equal to both the Father and the Son. Not only can we prove the deity of the Spirit through the equality he shares with the Father and the Son, but also by the attributes he shares with the Father and Son. Let me give you a few. First of all, the Holy Spirit is eternal. He's eternal. When we speak of the eternality of God, we mean he always was, always is, and always will be. There was never a point in time when God did not exist. Same with the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will he, will, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit, there it is, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Not only is he eternal, he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere. Psalm uh, 139, verse number seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? No matter which way you turn, He's there. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's holy. What's his name? Holy Spirit. But he also is omniscient. He knows all the thoughts of God. So then, the Spirit is God. And since he is God, he should receive the same honor and respect we give to the Father and the Son. He is worthy of our worship, our love, our devotion, our surrender. And because he's God, we can pray to him as well. That's the purpose that's the person, excuse me, of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at the person or the purpose of the Holy Spirit. What is his role? What is his work? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What does he do? I'm going to look at this in two ways. First of all, I'm going to look at his role or his purpose concerning the beginning of salvation. The beginning of salvation. We've moved from, from the per person of the Holy Spirit to now his role, what he does. First of all, he convicts. Look with me at John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. Here's how it reads. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Friends, without the Holy Spirit, 
no one can be saved. If we remember our sermon from human depravity, we learn from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 that we are all dead in our sins and transgressions. Dead men can do nothing to save themselves. So, before a person can be saved then, they must first be convicted, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. According to John chapter 16, verse 8, the Spirit convicts non-believers concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What the Spirit does is he exposes our sin of unbelief before our very eyes. The Spirit convicts the world that its righteousness is not God's righteousness. The Spirit convicts the world that, that they stand under God's judgment just as Satan has been judged and condemned to hell. So his first work in the beginning of the Christian life is that of conviction. Then we move from conviction to regeneration. Here's what we mean. Some who are convicted will also be born again, which is also a ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see this ministry of regeneration the clearest in John chapter 3. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The theological term for being born again is regeneration, which is the creative act of God whereby he implants new life into a formerly dead soul. Regeneration is the creative act of God whereby he implants new life and to a formerly dead soul. People don't like when I say things like this, when I say that regeneration is the creative act of God because I don't include any space for man. It's not even that. Here's where they really get mad at me. Because I don't include even space when it comes to regeneration to man's choice. Man's decision. My Calvinist is like, go pastor, go pastor, go pastor. Now my non-Calvinist is like, what you talking about, pastor? <laughs> Remember, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we are dead. What choice does a dead person have, saints? Preach to me. So it takes the creed power of God to bring new life into a dead soul and only God can do that only God can bring the dead to life the dead can't make no choice they have no choice in the matter and so God does the act of regenerating our souls through the Holy Spirit he convicts us he regenerates us, and then he converts us. After regeneration comes the act of conversion, which entails both repentance and faith. 
And neither of these can happen without the life-giving power of the Spirit to give us faith, (laughs) there it is, to trust in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins. So that choice is even a gift of God. Okay, let me prove it to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I heard one mm. For you are, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for you are saved by grace through faith. Got it? We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Watch this. It is the gift of God. Question for you people who who know how to study your Bible. What does it refer to? What is the antecedent of it and it is the work of God? I don't know what you just said with that mask on your mouth. But here's what I think you said. All of it. Good. Good answer. Good answer. It will saved, gift of God, by grace, gift of God, through faith, gift of God. We need the Holy Spirit. That's why I say, and I have said to you, and I will keep saying, salvation from beginning to end is the whole work of God. He convicts us. He regenerates us. He converts us. And then he baptizes us. So now we're talking about baptism of the Spirit. This should be fun. Here's what I mean by baptism of the Spirit. Once a person believes, she is immediately united with Christ. The believer is in Christ, and Christ is in the believer. The believer has now become a part, a member of the body of Christ. And this union with Christ and placement into the body of Christ is called the baptism of of the Spirit. Now, let me say this about the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit happens the very moment one trusts in Jesus Christ. Say that again. The baptism of the Spirit happens the very moment one puts faith in Jesus Christ. Why do I, why do I repeat that? Because There are some who believe that the baptism of the Spirit is is a subsequent act after one puts faith in Christ. There there are some who believe that the baptism of the Spirit is a second act or work of the Holy Spirit. Some believe that you have to tarry or, or wait or even pray to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Beloved, I have to declare flat-footed that that is wrong. Why? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Here's your defense. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Here it is. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
According to Apostle Paul, it is impossible to be saved without the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, you got the ghost. (laughs) If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you ain't saved. So then, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has to happen in order for me to be saved. I don't have to wait for it. I don't have to tarry for it. I don't have to pray for it. He comes into my life. He puts me in Christ, and I'm united with Christ the moment I am saved. And this brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, which is, the clearest uh, uh, evidence of what is meant by baptism of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized, watch this, into one body. That's how we know he's not talking about water baptism here. He's talking about something else. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. That's the baptism of the Spirit. When we are placed into the body of Christ, Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So that's the beginning work of the Holy Spirit in our Christian life. He convicts, he regenerates, he converts, he baptizes. But, then, but his ministry doesn't stop there. It continues. So let's look at the continuation or the continuing ministry of the Holy Spirit in our Christian life. So we are baptized. That's when we are placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are united with Christ. That's baptism. But there's another act which sometimes gets confused, but it is different. Baptism, we've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happens one time, the moment we are saved. But then there's also the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's an ongoing, continuing act of the Holy Spirit. Let me share with you Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. This is where we learn the most about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one, one another out of reverence for Christ. So he starts out, the Apostle Paul here, he starts out by saying, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a contrast that's happening there. Here's what Paul is doing. Paul is teaching us that being filled with the Holy Spirit is about being under the control of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. When someone is drunk with wine, they are under the control of that substance. They do things, say things that they wouldn't do if they were under control of their own faculties. And so Paul is saying, in like manner, instead of being under the control of this substance, be under the control of the Holy Ghost. So, but here's here's what Paul does. He tells us to be filled with the Spirit, but then he shows us 
how we can tell, the, or he gives us the evidence of somebody that's spirit-filled. It's in the text. Remember, he said, be filled with the spirit. Here it is. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Spirit-filled Christians are worshipers. They sing and make melody to the Lord with their heart. They're worshipers. Not only are they worshipers, but they are thankful. He says it. In verse 20 of Ephesians 5, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I, when I see or hear complaining people, I wonder how, or they being, or if they're filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't complain and be thankful at the same time. So if you've got a complaining spirit, you are not submitting to the Holy Ghost. They're worshipers, they're thankful. <laughs> Let's see if I can make some more people mad at me. But, but he says spirit-filled people, spirit-filled Christians are also submissive. It's in the text. He says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me keep going. Now, I want us to see something here. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Notice that the filling of the Spirit is not something we do, but it's something that is done to us. Our responsibility is to simply follow the Spirit's lead. The Spirit fills us and we respond through worship, thankfulness, and submission. So he fills us. He also, not only does he fill us, let's move on, but he also empowers us. The Spirit empowers us for both Christian ministry and Christian living. He empowers us for both Christian ministry and Christian living. Regarding Christian ministry, we see this right before Jesus ascends back to the Father in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He's, this is what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that actually happens, that empowerment actually happens the very next chapter in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes down on the church during the time of Pentecost and Peter preaches the gospel to an assembled crowd and calls on them to believe the gospel. As a result of his Spirit-filled gospel preaching, 3,000 souls were baptized and added to the church. It was all because of the Spirit that believers were added to the church. Not, not, not Peter's ability, but the Spirit's ability. Let me stop here parenthetically and, and, and encourage you. 
I think this is so important for every believer today. If we want to be effective in our witnessing, evangelism, and our mission work, we must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it is not about our eloquence, our knowledge, our biblical depth, or our talents. The results are up to the Holy Spirit. He will give us exactly what we need to do what he wants us to do. We need to leave the results up to him. We need to have the mind of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's what he says. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, watch this, with lofty speech or wisdom. That's human ability. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Friends, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, and if, you, if you're saved, you do have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to declare the gospel and then watch God do the rest. He empowers us for Christian ministry. But he also empowers us for Christian ministry by giving us gifts, spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit sovereignly enables each believer to minister for the edification or the building up of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the coming good. Beloved, every one of us has been given a spiritual gift for the common good of the church. Child of God, hear me clearly. You are gifted. You may have not been gifted and talented in school, but in the church you are gifted. I have a gift. You have a gift. All God's children got gifts. So then, don't waste your gift, child of God. Don't sit on your gift. Serve the body. Join the AV team. Y'all like that? I do too. So he empowers us for Christian ministry. Not only does the Spirit, and then we'll be done. Not only does he empower us for Christian ministry, but he also empowers us for Christian living. It is through the Holy Spirit that we can live for Christ and strive for holiness. Remember, the command still holds in the New Testament. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. Lord, you want me to be as holy as you? I want you to keep making progress in your Christian life when it comes to holiness. Lord, how am I going to do that? Because you know me. 
and I know me. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit and he will give you everything you need to overcome sin, to not yield to temptation. Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Did you hear that? By the spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the body. You don't have to give in to temptation. You don't have to keep on with that pattern of sin. You have the spirit and through the spirit, you can mortify the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. By the way, I believe this to be the the evidence that one has the Holy Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not being slain in the Spirit. It's not miraculous healings. It is a transformed life that is the greatest evidence of being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. How then do we respond to this message? I'm glad you asked. For someone, the Holy Spirit is convicting you at this moment of your sinfulness and your need for Jesus Christ. You are being convicted at this very moment that you are a sinner. And as a result of your sin, you deserve eternal separation from God in hell. That conviction is not there simply to make you feel guilty. It is to turn you, to make you run to the cross of Jesus Christ so that you hear clearly that you can be saved from your sin and from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ who died your death, who died in your place, was buried and rose victoriously from the grave on the third day, so that all who believe shall have eternal life. Your greatest need in this moment, friend, is for you to be forgiven. And God has already provided their forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So somebody needs to respond to the convicting power of the Spirit by believing the gospel. But for those of us who are already walking with Christ, some of us, we are being called to respond by worshiping the Holy Spirit. Some of us have been, we have been so ignorant, and I mean that in its, the, the, its purest definition. We have been so misinformed or uninformed about the person of the Holy Spirit that we have been, we have been unsure whether we should pray to him. Sing to him. Worship him. And the response to revelation, that's what we've just got through the word of God is revelation. The response to revelation is always worship. So the worship team is going to make their way back and we're going to have the opportunity to worship the Holy Spirit together through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. For somebody else, you need to respond 
by being filled with the Holy Spirit. There is someone in this room or who will watch this video who it is clear that they are not filled or under the control of the Spirit, but they are under the control of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. How, this is how you know if you are under the control of the flesh. Immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Outburst of anger. Disputes dissensions, factions, evening, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I forewarn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me help someone in their marriage right now. One of the, one of the reasons that we have so much arguing and fighting and disputes is because we are being led by the flesh in our marriage. One of the reasons there's so much division in the Lord's church because we're under the control of the flesh. One of the reasons that some of these seats are not filled right now is because we're being led by the flesh concerning wearing masks. I said it. Come for me. But spirit-filled people think about what's best for others. Spirit-filled people say, oh, this is an opportunity for me to love my neighbor. Because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such, such things. There is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And that's what we need is more followers of Christ who are daily being led by the Spirit. And some of us, the response is, I need to repent because I've been living out of my flesh rather than living by the Spirit. If more of us would live by the Spirit, our marriages would be healthier. If more Christians would live by the Spirit, our churches would be healthier. If more people would live by the Spirit, the divorce rate wouldn't be the same in the world as it is in the church. We live more by the Spirit. There'll be more gratitude in our lives. Let's stand.